chapter 3. If you have a Bible, let's go there and we'll pray uh, one more time. Father, I just come before you, Lord, thanking you that in your grace, Lord, I, I, I know you're leading this church, Father, from day one as you put everything together the different ministries, Lord, the different men and women that are here, Lord, and, and there, and just, uh, Lord, we're so in awe. We pray that you would continue to lead us. I, I pray for the things going on there in Cambodia and Rosarito and all around the world, Father God. Help us not to be like some who think they can't make a difference, so they do nothing, Lord God. Help us to remember that one can make a difference in the life of one and then two. And that's immeasurable. Help us, Lord God, to have that type of faith, to believe and to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, Lord. We love you. We pray for Katie. We pray for all the work going on there and just all the things that are going on here and your beautiful people. Lord, as we read your word, as we study it together, may you supernaturally speak to our hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 3. I wanted to do Joshua chapters 3 through 5. But, uh, man, there's so much in this chapter um, and we're going to see uh, God is going to teach us some amazing things. In chapter 2, we examine the faith of an individual. Her name was Rahab. And now in chapter 3, we will examine the cooperation and faith of a congregation, which includes their leader, Joshua. It includes the officers, the priests, and the people as a whole. And together, being led by the Lord, they will choose to follow God into the promised land. You know, my prayers as we go through this chapter right here that we would learn and take to heart that this faith in response to God's word is what brings us into our inheritance. That faith will bring us into the promised land personally and congregationally. As a matter of fact, I love the scripture over in Deuteronomy 6.23. It says, Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. See, God didn't just save you out of Egypt and then that's done. No, he saved you out of Egypt to bring you into this wonderful life, this amazing land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that we were made to be as human beings, as God followers of love and peace and joy and all that's good. He brought us out to bring us in to the promised land. And it's so cool when you see that, you guys. I pray that we would know that there is an inheritance available for us today. We don't have to wait until we die. It's available for us today in the here and now, not just in the there and then, in the here and now, so that we can bring glory to God. And today, um, God will change our life as we claim our inheritance by faith. Uh, look what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, And then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. We read in verse 1 that Joshua rose early in the morning. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here like to rise early 
in the morning. How many of you like to sleep in until 12 o'clock? No, I'm just joking. Hey, man. I, I, you know what? I don't want to overgeneralize, but this right here is a great, great habit to have, especially from a biblical perspective. You know, many Christian commentators touch on the fact that Joshua was an early riser, undoubtedly for the purpose of spending that time with God in the morning. I mean, if you go over, if you would, go over to Joshua chapter 6, and look what it says there in verse 12. What does it say? And Joshua rose early in the morning. Uh, go over to chapter 7, verse 16. It says, so Joshua rose early in the morning. If you go over to chapter 8, verse 10, you'll never guess what it says. <laughs> Joshua rose early in the morning. You see, Joshua was an early riser who spent the first hours of the day in communion with God. And in this, he was like Moses. He was like David, Hezekiah, and, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Mark one thirty-five. Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before the daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You know, I'm learning, and I don't want to make you guys unhealthy or anything. I definitely don't want to be weird, you know, or legalistic or anything. But I have learned that, you know, I don't need, you know, 10 hours sleep. I don't need 8 hours sleep personally. And probably there's a good probability that maybe you don't either, that you might be able to wake up before the sun, maybe 4 or 5 in the morning, and spend that time with the Lord. And it's amazing to me how when you wake up early, how you... You get so much more done. It's an amazing thing getting out of bed on the right foot and spending that time with the Lord. You know, we see that, you know, Joshua did it and Moses did it and David did it. Hezekiah did it. Jesus did it. And if Jesus was able to do that, then I think that we should as well. As we rise early, spend that time with the Lord. God will give us what we need for the day to know his will. That's one thing a lot of us don't even know his will. And even if you do know his will, a lot of times you don't have the power to do his will. You need to know his will and you need the power to then do it. And that's only available as you draw from the resources of almighty God. And the key so many times is giving the first fruits to God. Waking up early in the morning like Joshua did. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. I love that. And the cool thing about that verse right there in Isaiah 50, verse 4, is it's a messianic verse. It's speaking actually in reference to Jesus Christ, how the Father would wake him up every morning, man, so that he could hear the voice of the Father, and then he can go out and minister to the people who are weary. It's such a beautiful thing when you see that. You know, I don't know if any of you guys know uh, Jerry. He's the youth leader. He has a grandma and a grandpa, beautiful, beautiful people. And you know what they do when, when they wake up in the morning before they even get out of bed? This is cool. And I've done this a few times when the Holy Spirit has brought this to my remembrance. But when, as soon as they kind of wake up in the morning and they open their eyes, the very first thing they do is they go like this. And they just start before they even get out of bed just receiving by faith what God has for them. And it's so cool when you look at this right here 
And we see that Joshua rose early in the morning. And I probably wouldn't have said anything. It just seems like every commentary I read, every Christian I talked to noted that. And I think there's something to that. It's true for him, true for Joshua and Jesus, and it's true for us. You guys, uh, get blanket victory, man. That Kill the snooze. Get a real crazy alarm clock or something, man. And ask the Lord to get you out of bed. Warren Wiersbe said this, The people God uses and blesses know how to discipline their bodies so that they can give themselves to the Lord in the early morning hours. Before the sun, while it's still dark. I remember this one guy, he said, Heights attained by great men were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, toiled upward in the night. God help us. To rise early in the morning. We see here in verse 1 it says that they set out from Acacia Grove and uh, came to the Jordan. Now, just in case you're wondering, this is the first time the people moved under the leadership of Joshua. And they went and traveled approximately seven miles from Acacia Grove to the Jordan. And there they were beside the river. And we read in verse 2, And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. We read here that the officers now go out throughout the camp and they give the people kind of like a heads up. You know, they say, listen, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites, you know, bearing it, setting out, then you shall set out as well. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant, most of you probably know, is symbolic of the Lord, symbolic of the presence, the personal the powerful presence of the Lord. And so in looking at this, it's such a beautiful symbol of how God leads us, you guys, of how God leads us very, very intimately in life. You know, in Exodus 33, verse 14, it says, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I love that. In, you know, Numbers, Nehemiah, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 12 We read this verse, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. They said, hey, when you see the ark moving, that's God leading. You follow the Lord. And the Lord led them intimately. The Lord led them personally. Now, just in case you're here and you read that, um, there might be some people who you know, read this and, and complain and, and even question. And they say, why doesn't God lead me like that anymore, you know? <laughs> why doesn't he make it visible with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to give me light on the road which I should travel? Why doesn't he make it visible if following him is so valuable? And a lot of people struggle with the will of God. A lot of people struggle with what am I supposed to do? And a lot of times they kind of, 
in a roundabout way, blame it on God, saying that for some reason, God, you're kind of making it difficult for me. But you know what? I would encourage you, man, before you complain, understand that God still leads us in a very personal and intimate way. He really does. Believe you me, man, as God's people, we are not in the country without a compass. We're not in an ocean without an oar. We have this oar to steer us and to empower us to follow the Lord. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the Ark of the Covenant, do you guys remember what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? There was a few things there. Number one was the tables of the commandments, or you might say the word of God. Uh, another thing that was in there was the, the manna that they would gather from the wilderness. Uh, and then the third thing we see there was Aaron's rod that budded. Those were the things that would be there. And God still kind of uses the Ark of the Covenant to guide us. How will God guide us now? With the counsel of his word, right? With the Bible, he guides our life. Now, the cool thing about the manna is how often did the manna come? Every day, right? I mean, except for the Sabbath. But God would provide for them for every single day, one day at a time. And that's kind of how the Lord leads us in life, I really believe. The commandments of his word as a whole, and then our daily manna, so to speak. We already talked about waking up early and going and gathering the manna, right? That's how God will lead your life. He'll use the word of God. And as you spend time in the morning gathering the manna for today, God will guide your life. And then we see, what about Aaron's rod that budded? What is that all about? Well, I think that God will use uh, leaders, but he will use priests in our life to give us the counsel that we need. And so you go looking for a priest, right? You're like, is that down the street at the Catholic Church? No. If you know your Bible, who are the priests now? The believers are. And so when you've got the word of God and the manna for today and the counsel of God, as the priests offer that to us, sometimes leaders who know the word really well, you go to them, but make sure they give you the word of God then I'm telling you this right now, man, and there's no doubt in my mind, God will guide your life personally and intimately if you listen. You know, I think God guides us, but I think a lot of times our problem is we don't want, you know, to do the work to to be led by him. You know, when we don't know what to do in the non-explicit issues of the Bible, question, are you willing to wait on the Lord? You know, the officers went through the camp and they said, hey, when you see the ark move, then you move. But a lot of times we move before the ark moves. And the problem is we're not really waiting to watch what the Lord wants us to do. You know, we see the officers said when the Lord sets out, then you set out. And so what we need to do is we need to wait on the Lord. We need to tarry until he tells us what to do. Don't test God. And we need to worship the Lord. Another interesting thing about this right there is we see that it says, do not come near it that you may know the way in which you go. It says in verse 4, there shall be space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. And so... You know, they go through and they say, hey, you guys, when you see the Ark of the Covenant move, then you move. 
But make sure you maintain a healthy distance from the Ark of the Covenant. If you were to do the math, it'd be about a, a half a mile. Stay about a half a mile away from the Ark of the Covenant. Now, there's probably an element of that way you can have a good view of it, but probably the primary reason for maintaining that distance is because if they got too close, they would die. They would die, right? For although we have a personal relationship with God, we do not have a casual relationship with God. God is our friend. I thank God for that. But he's not your buddy. God is loving. Yes. Praise God for that. But he is also holy. And what happens so many times is people, man, they don't fear God. They don't reverence God. And they have, yes, a personal relationship. But it turns out to be a casual relationship. And that's where we need to be so careful in life, to have the love of God as well as the fear of God, you know, to take this seriously. And, and the interesting thing is that I have to warn you, man, because if you take this thing, you know, casually and if you don't understand the holiness of God and the way that, you know, if you take sin lightly, you will die, then I'm wrong. And that's why we have to study the Bible. You know, remember that story? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 19. In verse 17, it says, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. You know, the Lord says, go down there and warn them. They might get too close and tell those priests, man, that they're serving in the ministry. So they better make sure their heart's right or I'll kill them. And Moses is kind of like, Lord, they know. (laughs) You already told them, Lord, I'm sure, right? And what did the Lord say? In verse 24, the Lord said to him, away. And there's an exclamation point, right? (laughs) Get down and then come up you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And he said to them, don't ever forget that you have a holy God. And don't take this God, you know, like a chum, like a buddy, like it's no big deal. He's a holy God. And we follow him personally. Yes, I thank God for that. But we follow him with a holy heart. And so as you're wanting to go into the promised land, and we're going to learn things that are so important for us to understand. You know, we wait on the Lord to lead us. And when the ark moves, we move. And 
We don't move unless he tells us to. And we wait on him and we worship him. We kind of like this. We wait for the revelation of God and we maintain a reverence for God. God will guide your life. Just wait on him. Seek him and you really will. You know, as you go through this, back in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, we need to take this walk seriously and not casually and allow the Lord to lead us. You know, we know for the children of Israel, it was completely new territory. You know, that's what we read right here. It says that they've never been this way before. In verse 4, do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. For the children of Israel, it was new. And for a lot of us, a lot of this is new as well, right? We've never been this way before. You know, personal experience is not available or attainable. We're different now. They're different now. The changes, the challenges are always changing. And so what do we do? Well, we need to stay focused on the Lord. And we need to simply follow the Lord, you guys. You know, one of the things the Lord's really, really been ministering to me lately is to stay focused on Him. You know, if you live your life to try to please others, you're going to get off track. Uh, If you live your life trying to find satisfaction or fulfillment in any other person, you will lose your joy. You will not stay strong. We've got to focus on the Lord and make sure that we love him more than anyone by an infinite amount. And we have to make sure that we're living our life to please him. You know, if you do that, if you love the Lord first before anyone else, there's no rival thrones. And if you try to make your decisions and your days just dictated by what pleases him, you know that you're probably going to do pretty good with the people that are around you. And that's the way we need to live, to to follow the Lord, you know. Remember what Jesus told Peter in John 21. We got the whole story. It talks about Peter turning around. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had lead on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And a lot of times I think that will just mess us up. What about this man? What about this woman? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's what we're reading about right here. We're reading about us following him. You know, many, if not most of our problems are due to the fact that we oftentimes are people watchers. We have our eyes on him. You know, why does he seem to have it so smooth or We have our eyes on her. I hope she approves of my behavior. Or we have our eyes on ourselves. And that's usually a love-hate relationship, right? We're thinking of ourselves, right? But we need to stay focused on the Lord. And in his comforting and correcting love, he will lead us through all these unfamiliar, seemingly insurmountable areas. He will make us. He will break us. And he will take us. He will alone will take us to the promised land. We've never been this way before. How many of you here have ever lived in 2011 before this year? Just out of curiosity, you know? The changes that are going on, maybe you've done this before, but you're different now and she's different now. 
the times that we live in are different now. We've never been this way before. But the cool thing is, the Lord knows where to take us. I love the scripture over in Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. It says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. And there's this battle that's going on, you guys, and there's no way we could win. There's no way I could win. You can't win. I don't care how buff you are, man. You can't. And that's just something that's common for all of us. But with God, and as our eyes are on Him, He'll give us the victory, you guys. Just in case you're wondering, He knows the territory. He knows the terrain. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the way. And so my encouragement to you tonight is to trust Him. To totally trust Him. To follow Him. To fall in love with Him. And to let Him do a new work in your life. He will work. And we must cooperate. Because look what we read next in verse 5. It says, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Man, I pray that you want to gain ground for God, you know, to make a difference in the world that we live in for good, to bring glory to him, to bring people to him, to help girls that are caught in sexual slavery or, or whatever, little boys that you might work with at, at work. You might be a father figure to them, or maybe it's a stranger that you'll meet one day that God will just kind of providentially put in your, in your path. But, man, that we would just be people saying, here my God, send me, use me, that God would work in you, that God would work through you. A lot of times we can't even get past ourselves. You've got to conquer yourself. You've got to let the Lord give you victory over self so that then he can really fully, totally use you in this world. The, the world's just waiting for people who are absolutely yielded and surrendered to him. And when we're absolutely yielded and surrendered to him, then God will do a great work in you and through you. And so Joshua says to the people, we're getting ready to go over to the promised land. God's going to come and do a great work. You need to sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourselves. The Greek Hebrew word, it means to keep oneself apart or separate. It means to consecrate oneself. And does anybody know what the best commentary on the Bible is? The Bible. Good. Okay, let's go over to Exodus 19. Because I think we have a great cross-reference here that gives us insight on, on what it probably meant when Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves in a practical way. Because again, in Exodus chapter 19, in verse 10, it says, And then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes because more than likely their clothes really stink, really bad, stinketh big time, right? Let them be ready for the third day for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain 
shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live when the trumpet sounds long. They shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. You see, God was about to move, do miracles, work wonderful wonders. And the people needed to make sure that they were in a place of being able to receive the grace and mercy of God. Otherwise, if they came with their own dirty, stinky, smelly clothing, uncaring, unrepentant, taking this whole thing lightly and casually, then they would die. Or maybe worse, the work would die. And so Joshua tells the people, Moses tells the people to consecrate themselves, to wash your clothes. And if you're married, I'm sorry, but you can't be intimately sexually involved. This is a time of consecration. Now we know that washing our clothes doesn't make us right with God, right? But what that symbolizes, it's a visible illustration of of repentance, of repentance. I'm getting rid of this dirty, wicked way that I have. And I'm wanting you, God, to clean me, to clothe me with your ways, your righteousness. What it is, is God saying, listen, I'll tell you what, I will clothe you with my righteousness. We know in the Bible, the imagery of washing one's body and changing clothes, symbolizing making a new beginning with the Lord. Since Sin is pictured as defilement. God has to cleanse us before we can truly follow him. You know, Revelation 19.14, it talks about the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. They followed him on white horses. Now, are we literally going to have white, you know, linen clothing? I don't know. Maybe not. But I know that it is symbolic of us being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You see, and as Christians, we've already been given, we've been imparted His righteousness, imputed His righteousness. Now we need that imparted righteousness. And it takes you taking off these clothes and allowing God to clothe you with His own. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, is a a very important verse. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. You see, we need to consecrate ourselves. And if there's anything in our life, we know, and the Holy Spirit's been putting his finger on it, on that attitude that we might have, or that way of you know living at home, or in our hearts, or at work, or whatever it is. God says, you got to get rid of it, man. Off with the old and, and on with the new. You know, I like what we read. I don't know if you guys are reading through the Bible, but in today's reading in 1 Samuel 7, in verse 3, it says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only. 
And then he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. You see, this sanctification, it speaks of purity and it also speaks of priority. Again, look what it says in Exodus 19 and verse 15. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. You know, that's kind of interesting. If you were married in certain special times in order to be properly sanctified, you know, you aren't to have sexual relations with your wife. So someone says, time out. Wait a minute, Manny. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, that the marriage bed is undefiled. It's not sin to be with my wife. You're right. It's not. You know, if you're married, that's the only time you can be sexually together when you're married. But sometimes even when you're married, there's times, there's seasons, mutual consent. First Corinthians 7 talks about that, of sanctification. It's a time of saying to God and proving to God that you love no one else more than him. You love no one else the way you love God. There's no rival throne. You deny the flesh, the pleasures, even things that sometimes are permissible for a special time of saying loud and clear, God, I love you much, 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 much more than anyone else. You see, it's a sanctification of purity and priority. And God's going to do a great work in the congregation. And so he's stirring things up in the people and the officers and Joshua and the priests. Look what it says uh, back in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now we're going to see as the the nation of Israel enters into the promised land, different components that are very important. Obviously, it's going to take the cooperation of the people. It's going to take other leaders like officers and priests. We're going to see in the end who are faithful. But it's also going to take leaders like Joshua who are called and anointed and appointed by God. And that's what we see here in the life of Joshua. Three things real quick about this. You know, the only reason the Lord ever, you know, exalts a leader, and you've got to use that word exalts in quotation marks, you know, is for the purpose of leading the people in the ways of the Lord, leading the people to God and not themselves, so that they might lead the people effectively. And so God will raise up a leader, not to, you know, hey, come to me, but to go to the Lord, that the leader would point them to the Lord. And so he'll raise up a leader. That's one thing. Another thing we see, the most important element of leadership is that the Lord is with the leader, huh? That's what he says right there. I'm going to raise you up that all Israel might know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And that's the most important thing, not the charisma, not the giftedness, whether or not God is with them. Right? And that's what we look for. A.W. Tozer said, don't follow anyone. And so you see the oil on their forehead. Right? 
And then number three, the third thing we see here is that exaltation does not come from man. It comes from God, huh? And we read that over in Psalm 75, 6 and 7, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west nor the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. The Lord here exalts Joshua for why? The purpose of effective leadership in order that he may use him as a vessel to bless the people and to bring them into the promised land. If you're a leader here today in any way, shape, or form, it could be a pastor, it could be an assistant pastor, an elder, an overseer, God will allow us to be leaders to serve the people so that they might be blessed by God, so that they might enter in to the promised land. God is the one who does the work. And the cool thing to know as leaders is that he's with us. I find comfort in that. But here Joshua is used by the Lord. And we read in verse 8, he says, You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And so Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Rigorshites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Termites and all these guys, right? All gone, right? Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves Twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. You know, we're getting closer. We're not there yet. Joshua is saying this is what's going to happen. You know, the Lord exalts Joshua. But I love, I love the way Joshua just points the people to the Lord. He didn't tell them, hey, the Lord told me he was about to exalt me to show you that he's with me. No, he told the people, by this you will know that the Lord is with you. The Lord is among you. And every once in a while, I think it's cool for us as leaders to remind you of that. How Jesus said, I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not just, you know, a generic God. It's not a deistic God. It's the living God, and he is among you. And you need to know that. Why? Because the Lord is among you to give you the opportunity to drive out all your enemies. Isn't that cool? The Lord is among you. The Lord is in you. The Lord is on you to drive out all your enemies. There's seven enemies that are mentioned here. Seven is the number of completion. It's talking about everything. I mean, God is not going to do a half job with you. And God says, listen, you don't have to wait until you die and go to heaven. I can give you the victory now so that nothing will have dominion over you. So you can go into the promised land and you're going to fight. You're going to fight, but you're going to win. And then you're going to rest in that victory. God says, I'm with you, man, to give you 
the victory over all your enemies. And for a lot of us here, man, we got different types of enemies. You know, there's the things that you are. Your old man. The Bible calls your you the way you are all messed up. Your old man. Everybody here is messed up in different ways. You can't compare yourself with another person. They might not be as messed up as you are. You know, I don't know. But we've all got our different things about us. Man, there's fears that some girls or some guys have. There's insecurities that some girls and some guys have. I mean, there's just different ways about us. Some are more inclined toward this type of lifestyle, drinking or drugs. Sometimes it's even homosexual activity. I mean, there's just a lot of things. We're all different. We all have our, our enemies, so to speak. But it doesn't matter what they are. God says, I'm among you to drive out all your enemies. And some of you here, you've got big devils against you, demons. Some, you maybe you only got a couple because you're not really doing anything, right? I don't know what's going on. We all got our enemies, whatever it is. God says, I'll give you the victory. And in order for the people to advance, he tells them in advance how the Lord was going to part the Jordan River for them how the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, they're just going to step into the Jordan. And we see that Joshua calls then for a representative from every tribe as a witness to all this. And we're going to see in chapter 4 a worker in all this. But then we read in verse 14. It says right here, And so it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Wow. Now, if that doesn't hit you, you know, something's wrong, man. The people just entered into the promised land. It's amazing. We're going to see the manna will cease. We're going to eat the fruit of the land right away. It's amazing, you guys. And the Lord did the work as the people cooperated. How? By faith. You know, the Lord parted the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses. Now the Lord parts the Jordan River under the leadership of Joshua and the participation of the officers, people, and priests who stood firm, the Bible says, until all the people had crossed over the Jordan. You know, normally the Jordan River would be about 100 feet wide, but during the spring, which was considered the flood season, the river overflowed its banks and it grew a mile wide. Uh, sometimes it'd be 12 feet deep. And so there's no way 3 million people could cross over. And so what the Lord does is he stops the river. He parts the river 20 miles down so that 3 million people can now enter into the promised land. 
The wall of wonder would allow the people to enter in to claim their inheritance as children of God. And it symbolizes for us a rest that Jesus Christ has already given to us. All we must do is enter in to his rest. We have to claim it by faith. You see, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And you're sanctified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It doesn't change now. You've got to believe. You've got to believe so that you might receive. Don't go to your giants and, you know, complain and doubt. Man, go to them and tell them, you know what, God is with me. There's no weapon formed against me that will prosper. And you as an individual and us as a congregation, we go forward into the promised land. How was this done? Well, it was the Lord's feet, right? F-E-A-T. It was the Lord's feet, right? But it was also the people's feet, right? F-E-E-T, right? It's a combination of his feet and our feet, right? It's called steps of faith. A feet of the feet, a feet of faith. Joshua 1.3, I love that verse. It says that every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. You see, as you believe and as you receive and as you go out, and it could be uh, you know, a ministry that you begin to you know, get involved in or step out or oversee. It could be a country that you travel to. I mean, it could be big things in ministry. It could be big things personally. As you begin to wake up early in the morning, spend time with God, and you take this relationship no longer casually but seriously, You know, God will honor those steps of faith. And you just repent. You repent of those sins. A lot of times we've got a short fuse. And we get mad so quick. And God says, listen, man, I want you in the promised land. But you've got to take off those clothes and, and wear my righteousness. It's by faith. That's how they entered in. British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, he said the world was never conquered by intrigue. It was conquered by faith. Warren Risby said this, unbelief says, let's go back to where it's safe. But faith says, let's go forward to where God is working. That's how I feel about so many areas of my life right now. Things are going on in the family that uh, I'm wanting to grow and things that are going on You know, in Cambodia, I just am so excited. Things going on in me personally, just me. I don't want to go back and play it safe. I want want to go full bore. I want to wake up at 3, 4 in the morning and spend time with the Lord. As he wakes us up, Isaiah 50, verse 4, huh? Morning by morning. So cool, you guys, what God wants to do and so man real quick just a few words the first word is faith make sure that you believe uh the bible says that you know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and so saturate yourself in the scriptures believe it number two is focus focus on the lord wait on the lord focus on him third follow him follow the lord he will lead you he will guide you And then the fourth word, and we didn't really get a chance to elaborate on too much, 
But man, stay firm. The priests, think about it. They stood in the, in the river right there, and it said they stood firmly, man. They stood firmly until what? Until all the people crossed over the Jordan. And maybe you're a leader here today. And God says to you, man, stop vacillating. You are called to be a leader. Why is it that your relationship as a leader is weak in that you're doing this on your own strength? Don't you know that I've called you? Don't you know that I've commissioned you? And I will give you the strength as a leader to stand firm in this riverbed until all the people that you're called to lead cross over. And in one sense, we're all leaders, we're all influencers, we're all salt, we're all light, and we're all called to stand firm, you guys, so that God would be glorified and so that his people would be blessed. Father, we just come before you and we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father, I know you're gaining ground. I know you want to, Lord. In my heart, in my family, Lord God, in the ministry, uh, to the ends of the earth, Lord God. And so I pray, Lord, that just the different things that you touched on today out of Joshua chapter 3 would enter into our hearts and they would become a working word, a living word. I thank you so much, Lord, for the amazing love that you have for your people here tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone here would just know the love of God and that everyone here would have a healthy fear of God. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that tonight, God, you would save them. And you would just communicate to them, Lord, that today is a day of salvation. Lord, that their sins have separated them from you. And apart from you, they will perish. But you died so that they wouldn't have to. And so, Lord, I pray that today every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We love you. We love you. I pray, Lord, as a congregation, that you would baptize us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. That you would do a great and awesome work. Again, thank you so much for loving us the way that you do, Lord. Be with us now as we sing, as we fellowship. Lord, help us to take all these things to heart. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and if you need prayer, maybe you're going through something or whatever the case may be, man, after we sing this song, you know, you're more than welcome to come up and We'd love to pray with you, man, and just point you to the Lord. Let's all stand and we'll close with a song.